Junk food supper. 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 All right, welcome to Junk Food Supper, the podcast for people who love junk food dinner and are willing to tolerate a lack of Kevin Moss for another week. Uh, I'm your Not Kevin number one, Sean Byron in LA, and I'm joined, as always, by Not Kevin number two, Parker Bowman in the 559. Bowman, how was your Barbenheimer weekend? It was spectacular. Uh, I had a spectacular weekend. Um, I wish that, I mean, I wish I could talk to you about seeing these movies, but I mean, legally, my hands are tied because you didn't pick either one for the show this week. So, I mean, you Is know, that a maybe. Fact? You know, maybe some other time. <laughs> oh, okay. That, that's just, that's the policy. I see. Okay, all right. I just don't, you know, I mean, I'd love to talk about him. I just can't. My lawyers have told me that I will be sued. They, they said that uh, Kevin would pursue other options if I broke the rules here. <laughs> well, that does sound a lot like the Kevin Moss that I know, so Very I would be afraid of that. that guy. Yeah. Um, can we talk at least a, a little bit about the experience of seeing them? Yeah. Well, we, we can talk about it all. We can talk about it all. I actually only saw one of these, so I'm eager to wait. hear. Wait, what? On Barbenheimer weekend? Yeah. Well, the one was so good. Barbie. Barbie was so good. I was like, well, this other one's not going to be able to live up to that. I got to, I got to quit while I'm ahead. Fair enough. Well, how was your Barbie experience? A movie that I'm I'm supposing that you were not that hyped for maybe like a year ago, or have you always been on board with this Barbie movie? I was pretty hyped. I, Greta Gerwig has made one of my favorite movies ever um, in Lady Bird, and she starred in a bunch of my favorite movies ever. Most of those movies are directed by the co-writer of this movie, Noah Baumbach. Yeah, including um, Gerwig and the Angry Inch. That's my favorite one, yeah. Uh, like Francis Ha, I love, and um, uh, all of them. All of those collaborations. Greenberg, oh, Greenberg especially. Oh, Greenberg is so good, so good. Um, so yeah, I was pretty hyped because I love both of them. And then so for them to be working together on on this, I was like, I mean, I wasn't hyped. Like I was like, I don't know, a big budget Barbie movie? I don't know, I guess we'll see. But I trust in those two people. So And it paid off because it was great. Did you happen to encounter a, a pretty packed uh, screening room full of uh, pink-clad attendees, or <laughs> was it kind of just business as usual up there? No, it was wild. It was like, yeah, it was like Star Wars for ladies or something. Like, I went Thursday night, so it was like all the people who were the most hyped for it. <clears throat> and it was like packed out, which I was not expecting. And yeah, it was. I would say like half the people there were wearing pink and or maybe more than that, actually. Like half of them were like in like flashy, flamboyant outfits, but like seventy-five percent were wearing pink in some capacity. Like it it was pretty wild. It was it was like going to see a, a Star War and you know, everybody's dressed like a a, a Boba Fett, you know. Everybody's yeah. a, a Darth Vader or whoever's in that movie. <laughs> We had a fun little game just walking around the shopping mall before the movie, just trying to pick out like who's going to Barbie. And it was, it was pretty easy because it felt like 
more maybe more than half the people even just in the mall were wearing pink and very clearly there just to see Barbie. Yeah, I think that's yeah, I think it's fun. It's been a long time since like colors have been fashionable in America. So I'm really hoping this presents some sort of a sea change. Yeah. Well, you know, if any movie can, I think it would be Barbie, which, you know, I I guess I should get on the record. I liked it. I had fun. I I was a little bit disappointed in the projection at the AMC that I selected. Uh, It was kind of a mixed bag because, well, first off, I, I had a hard time finding like a good screen to see Barbie on. I feel like uh, Oppenheimer and still like the remnants of Mission Impossible uh, had taken up all like the big screens. So like most of the screens I was seeing Barbie, you know, being advertised as playing on were pretty small theaters here in L.A. Like, you know, it would, you know, be at the multiplex, but it would be in like, you know, the theater in the corner, the back corner of the multiplex that you didn't even know was there because you got to take like a left turn at the soda fountain and it's, you know, it's all dusty in there and it, it's got six seats. Um, but we found one that was big enough in Century City. And, you know, Century City is like a fancy kind of part of town. And I figured it would be a fun place to see Barbie. I figured people would turn out for it. Um, what I didn't know was that Century City would be a major plot point in the movie. And so mm-hmm. I had that kind of wild experience of like seeing it uh, on screen and then the theater that I was in was shown on screen. You can see the Westfield century city mall uh, in the movie and they name check it. They keep talking about century city and uh, the crowd that I was with, you know, all these pink clad uh, attendees were going wild, just, you know, hooting and hollering every time uh, they mentioned it, which was fun, but the projection was bad. Well, that's sad to hear about the projection, but, um, but did you like the look of the movie itself? Very colorful, very nice to look at, I felt. I think so, yeah. I mean, what I could make out through the fog of, of a dim projector bulb uh, looked really good. Um, and, what? you know, oh, overall, no. you know, was a lot of fun. It was that bad, the projection. It was, it it was impeded pretty, I mean, your I, Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like it, the bulb was at like 80% brightness of what it should have been, which... That's not that's not how you want to see a, a new movie in theaters, you know, at eighty percent brightness. Um, True. It was almost at the point of like me going up to complain, but I figured like whoever I would complain to would probably like walk over with me and like pop their head in the theater and be like, "I don't get it. The movie's playing. What's your problem?" You know, like they would definitely not see anything. But yeah, that's probably true. These projectionists—they're terrible these days. That's. It was probably a robot. I mean. Knowing mm-hmm. how things have been going, I'd be shocked True. if it was really a, a human in the booth. Well, you should see it again. I think I will. Full, what about this Oppenheimer? Did you see it in 70 millimeter IMAX craziness? Yeah. So for that, we went over to the world famous TCL Chinese, which never disappoints. And, and that was the case, you know, this time as well. The um, The picture and the sound were just, you know, totally flawless. Um, and it, yeah, it was on the 70 mil uh, film print. Unfortunately, the movie's kind of crappy. Didn't really like it. Oh. Kind of a turkey. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard mixed things. And then also I listened to this podcast the, called The Big Picture. 
and the host of it, I kind of like, so I listen to the podcast, but like, he's also like a pretentious prick and I disagree with like 95% of the things he says. And he was like, <laughs> oh, this is by far Nolan's best movie. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm not going to like that. <laughs> no, it, it's, I mean, I, I think what I've found out is, is I like Nolan when he goes more fantastical, you know, I, I liked his Batman treatments. I, I liked Tenet a lot. I think Tenet's a, a lot of fun. It's, you know, a weird high concept movie where a bunch of shit blows up and, you know, there's, there's fun to be had. Oppenheimer, I mean, obviously going into it, you don't expect fun, but I expected, I don't know, something interesting and, and it's not, it's just very boring. Like 90% of the movie takes place in one of two very small cramped, like office type environments where you've got people interviewing Oppenheimer and, you know, when that's your movie, why the hell did you shoot this thing on IMAX, bro? <laughs> it's, there's <laughs> nothing to see here. Like you just wasted all these fucking pixels when there's, it's like black and white close-ups of faces that are kind of dimly lit. And it's like, this would actually look better on 35 with a little bit of grain. And um, I don't know. He does the thing where within a single scene, it will cut between color 35, black and white 35, color IMAX and black and white IMAX all within the same scene within like a single conversation, you know, they'll be cutting between these formats. And again, just in like a nondescript office room kind of environment. So there's no reason for it other than like a filmmaker just kind of jerking off. That, that sounds like Nolan. That's my boy, Nolan. Yeah. And then the, the plot is basically just kind of surface level Wikipedia stuff, you know, where it's like, if you have even a base level familiarity with the events of, you know, the Trinity test, I don't think you'll find anything new in it other than like a really heavy emphasis on the dude's love life that I don't give a shit about. It has no bearing <laughs> on anything. So. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, I mean, I'm. Yeah, I I feel like I won't like it, especially now. If you didn't like it, I don't think I'll like it. But um, it's it's a fascinating subject, though. I mean, I, I would recommend yeah. looking up some YouTube documentary footage and stuff like that. Like, just it, like the real interviews with Oppenheimer, you know, post wartime are pretty fascinating um, and take up a lot less of your time, too. To be honest, yeah. And there's also that atomic museum in Vegas that I always want to go to. Like, I'm sure that that's probably yeah. better and shorter than the movie. <laughs> and there's also atomic liquors in Vegas that you could go get yeah. drunk at. True. Yeah. I always walk by that place. All of these options are better than spending three hours with Oppenheimer. Sadly, because yeah. I was excited for it. I, I do like Nolan, maybe... Maybe, you know, more than I don't, I guess. But when he misses, man, it, it can be rough. Yeah. He's the guy, like, I don't, I probably, I haven't seen some of his early stuff that, like, people like a lot, like that Robin Williams movie and, like, the Magicians movie. Oh, the, um, those are both good, yeah. Insomnia and, and The Prestige, both good. Yeah, that's what I've heard. So, so maybe the scales would tip more in his favor if I saw those, but yeah, I kind of dislike him more than I like him, but I'm always rooting for him. Cause it's like, no one else is really making these huge budget science, like hard sci-fi, like kind of the stuff he does. Nobody else does it. So I'm, I'm rooting for him, but 
they usually stink a little bit. Yeah. Oh well. Well, people are loving it though. So who am I to to judge? Yeah. Well, so now I need you to judge. So you're saying Barbie is the better of the of the Barbenheimer oh, yeah. movies? Yeah, by far. By Wonderful. far. I'm glad to hear it. I'm kind of surprised at what I ended up enjoying the most this summer. Out of all the movies, I think I was maybe most excited for Asteroid City and Barbie were probably the two that I was most excited for. And I think Mission Impossible 6 was my favorite movie of the summer. Ah. I I still need to see that. I might see that. I wasn't like hyped for it, but I don't know. I'm, now that like now that it has bombed, I'm like kind of more interested in it. Like I'm I kind of want to know why it bombed, you know? Like um especially after Top Gun, which was the biggest movie of all time. So like I'm kind of curious to see it. And I mean, I don't know if the movie's quality, maybe it's the quality of the last one that influenced this one to bomb or something, but I think it's just um, like other market factors, you know. I don't think it's the movie itself necessarily. Yeah. I think if you if you put that part one on a movie, I think that probably turns people off. Yeah. I think the, that's part of it like for that. sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think that might might be a bit of it. And I don't I don't know what else it would be. I don't know. Yeah. Kind of a stacked summer, maybe. Or maybe just too yeah. many bad movies. Like people didn't like Indiana Jones either and uh, Flash it, nobody liked. I think people just want something different. You know, that this, even though it's not a superhero movie, it feels a little bit like a superhero movie and it feels like part six in a series. And, you know, Fast 10 didn't do that great either. You know, all the, the franchise superhero movies are doing poorly. Yeah, true. Yeah, it could be. Hopefully we get this strike over with so we can get some of these new movies that aren't super sequels. I think that maybe will be the takeaway of the summer is, you know, do more weird, thinky stuff like Barbie and Oppenheimer. Yeah. Hopefully. Well, hope, hopefully. If that, uh, if that Yorgos Frankenstein, poor things does well theatrically, maybe we'll, we'll start getting some, some real weird movies getting made. That would be, I would like that very much. I like those weird Frankensteins, but go see that, uh, mission impossible. Cause it, I know that you're a man who likes to see, you know, motorcycles falling off cliffs and things like this. And it's just jam packed full of that. I do like that kind of stuff. And I like that lady from Dr. Sleep, that redheaded lady. That's mainly oh, yeah. why I want to see this movie. She's in there. Mm-hmm. Did you do any other fun stuff this, this weekend besides movie watching? Absolutely not. What about you? <laughs> I did. Uh, last night I actually went and saw the Aquabats. Oh, the aquatic bats. Yeah, it was it was fun. They played here in Fresno, so I went up there. And nice. uh, they they played at this place called Strummers, which is like where all the bands play in Fresno, like the few that come here to the valley. Oh, is that because Joe Strummer is from Fresno originally? Famous well, British man Joe Strummer is from Fresno. You would think so. Cuz well, I got in there and like I'd never been there before. Um and I was like, and it's like a punk rock bar. There's like Descendants posters and Ramones stuff, you know, and stuff. And I was like, you know, this bar is pretty cool and everything, but there's like way too much Clash stuff. Like there's like Clash paintings and like a big Clash mural. I was like, I don't know. I don't like the Clash this much. This is pretty crazy. Whoever put this place together. 
And then I realized, oh, it's strummers. Of course, they're into the Clash. <laughs> it like dawned on me very slowly that that was like intentionally uh, on purpose, you know. But um, but yeah, it was super fun. The Aquabats are are marvelous, and like it was like just so wholesome. There's like you know, there's like like the uh, MC Bat Commander, who's the lead singer. He, uh, you know, gave, he like remarked during the show that it's fun to see all the old people who are there because the Aquabats were a band, you know, and like all the young people who are there because the Aquabats was a TV show and like watching them meld together, which is like absolutely the funnest thing about the Aquabats. Like it's, it's so fun to see like these little kids like rock out to this band, you know, that you love. And, uh, they, they like brought a bunch of the kids on stage to dance with them. And like, it was like, just so fun. So wholesome. Aquabats are such a fun time. That sounds like a blast. I mean, I, I don't necessarily have much connection to that band, but I, I do love a wholesome good time and, uh, sounds like a good time was had by all. Yeah. They, uh, they, they brought up two kids who it was their birthdays and they, uh, like during the song, um, about, about pizza day. You know, when you're you're in school, you have a pizza day. Like they brought out these inflatable slices of pizza, and then they uh, had a race to see what. Like they put the kids on the slices, and then they they crowd surfed the slices like to the back of the venue and back, and like had a little race with the birthday kids. It was just charming. It was just charming. Old fashioned fun is what I would call it. All these kids are pieces of shit. Kevin Moss, no. oh, that's not nice. On. It was what their the birthdays, Kevin. Go on. Man, this is why we don't allow Kevin on junk food supper. Yeah, that's just, <laughs> just rude. Just rude. Um. Well, all right. Well, I guess uh, you want to dive into our first segment of the evening. I think we shall. Yeah, let's do it. All right. This first segment, uh, in honor of the movie we'll be talking about later, which is uh, the journey to the center of the Earth. Um. I thought it might be nice for us to shine some positivity on some of the adaptations of books that are not the main adaptations of books, like Journey to the Center of the Earth is. Uh, the movie we watched is certainly uh, an adaptation of a Jules Verne book, but it's not the most famous one. Uh, in fact, we watched the most famous one, or maybe even not the most famous one, perhaps the second most famous one a couple of weeks ago on Junk Food Dinner. Uh, so... So I thought it'd be fun to shine a light on some of these lesser-known adaptations. Um, and so, I mean, first and foremost, my favorite of, of the lesser-known adaptations, although this one's still pretty well-known. It's not like a super hidden gem, but it's not the most famous one. And that's uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, the Kenneth Branagh movie. Um, oh. It, <laughs> it actually uh, took stuff from the book. Which I appreciate in a movie adaptation. Yeah. Um, and I just, I don't know, it's like more science it's more science fiction than horror, unlike the Universal one. Um, and this is the one with De Niro, right? De Niro is the monster, yeah. Yeah. And Branagh plays, um, plays the, the scientist, Victor or Henry, or I think he's Victor in, in this one. Um, and yeah, and they, there's more of a, of a focus on the creature as a character, uh, De Niro, you know, talks and has feelings and, and things like that. He's not, I mean, so does the universe. Well, the universe one doesn't talk, but he's got feelings, but there's more of an emphasis on, on 
Frankenstein as a character. And um, I don't know. I just really like that one. I think I like it more than the Universal one. Uh, don't tell Kevin I said that. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's really good. I don't know. I think people don't – I mean, it's got a reputation for being like bad and people don't like it. And I think that's just because it's so different from the Universal Monster um, movie. Um, but I don't know. Have you, have you seen this one? I don't think that I actually have seen this. And, and I remember it pretty clearly coming out. You know, I, I feel like it came out in the wake of things like Bram Stoker's Dracula and the, the Jack Nicholson Wolf movie, when we're kind of having this wave of like, you know, re readapting these classic universal uh, monsters. And I love those other two, you know, despite the fact that Wolf is like not a good movie, I, I did really love it as a kid. Uh, and I remember seeing a lot of stuff about this Frankenstein in like Fangoria at the time, but it, I think the rep that I always heard was that it was trash. And so I, I avoided it, but it may have been one of those things where I think people were like not hyped on a quote unquote serious actor like De Niro doing a Frankenstein. I think like no matter how good the movie might have been like that alone was kind of rubbing people the wrong way, perhaps. Yeah, I think so. And the makeup is like, I mean, he, the makeup that they put on De Niro, like he looks like a walking cadaver, but he doesn't look like Frankenstein. And so I think that that kind of turned people off too. Well, it's it's tricky though, because I don't think that you want to really make it look exactly like the Boris Karloff, you know, bolts in necks, like flat top haircut kind of a thing. Because, I mean, no matter what you do, it's if you get too close, it's going to be like a weird uncanny valley thing. And if it's not close enough, like people are going to be like, what the hell is this? So it's, it's almost like I can't win with that character. Yeah, that is true. Um, well, what about you? What kind of, uh, not as famous adaptations do you enjoy? Well, I'm very bad at this assignment. So I, I do want to call <laughs> out that I've failed this assignment. Uh, just mark it zero, uh, right yeah. now for me. <laughs> I thought it was a good idea, so I, I messaged you, and then when I started making my list, I was like, this is really fucking hard. Like, it's really hard, yeah. The, the famous ones are famous for our reason. And exactly. Like <laughs> I, I mean, I, I came up with a few like non-famous adaptations that I would absolutely not recommend that anybody see. Like, There's an earlier version of Wizard of Oz from, I think, 1917 or something that I watched in the past month that's silent and fucking terrible. It's like all about the scarecrow for some reason. And it's not even about Dorothy. Uh, and it was made by this like silent comedian who was like just unbearably unfunny. Um, so w what I do have, you know, in lieu of a list of, of adaptations that I can recommend, I've got one that I want to see that sounded really cool that came up in my quote unquote research. And mm -hmm. then after that, I've got a fun little game sort of a thing that maybe we could play um, that I don't think will take too long, but I think will be fun. But let me just start off with the thing that I, I read about that sounded interesting. Um, I found a list of the most interesting, obscure anime adaptations of Western literature. And I was surprised to see, like, you know, some of these I had heard of, but just surprised to see like how many Japanese animes there have been uh, of various classic books. Like there's a Les Mis anime. Uh, there's an Agatha Christie anime. Anne of Green Gables got an anime, the Mark Twain books. 
The Diary of Anne Frank got an anime. Little House on the Prairie, Oz, of <laughs> course, Alice in Wonderland, Zorro, Little Women, The Sound of Music got an anime. These are all real things. And again, in Japan, that's you know kind of common. Well, I guess I guess that is a, a fair <laughs> point, Kevin. Mm-hmm, but the, absolutely. The one, the one that I saw on the list that actually looked appealing and looked like it would be fun to watch rather than just being kind of a weird, obscure curio is, I guess, in, what is it, 1988, they made a Starship Troopers anime um, called Uchu no Senshi, a.k.a. Warriors of Space, but it is officially based on Starship Troopers. I think Heinlein had some involvement with it as well. It was released like shortly after his death, like weeks after his death and dedicated to him. Um, But the, yeah, the plot description says Johnny Rico is a high school student living in Buenos Aires who doesn't know what to do with his future life. uh, When his friend Carl and his love Carmen, whom he grew up with, join the federal military to chase after his love into space. However, a war is brewing on the other planets with a strange bug like alien enemy. And Johnny is thrust into the conflict. That's what I want to hear about is these bug-like alien enemies. And it looks cool. I mean, I I looked at some screenshots. There's a lot of these classic mech suits. uh, You know, these guys in mech suits fighting the space bugs, I guess. And uh, they even came out with some follow-ups in 2012 and 2018. So uh, I feel like I got to see this 1988 Starship Troopers anime. That sounds very good. Right? I had no idea about this. I, I love the, the Verhoeven movie, obviously. And I've been wanting to delve deeper into the Starship Troopers universe. Like, I want to read the book. And there are a bunch of sequels to the movie. And there's, like, a bunch of, like, animated, like, um, American animated movies that are, like, part of the the continuity of the Verhoeven movie. But not, like, exactly sequels and it seems like there's a lot of stuff out there. There's like a bunch of new video games that are, are Starship Troopers based. So it seems like it's maybe having some kind of resurgence. Like I want to get deeper into it. Yeah. Well, and if you go way back, there's that version that's called Jefferson Starship Troopers. All right. All right. That's, that's quite enough. That's quite enough. Ha! <laughs> um, well, yeah. What do you got? I got another one here. Oh, Okay. Um, that's what you, you were supposed all, to have. <laughs> we've all seen the movie death wish, right? Starring Charles Bronson, Chucky Bronson. Of course. Is there another death wish? There's another death wish. Uh, the it's writer, some, some kind of foreign adaptation. Oh no. You're talking about oh. the more recent one. That's right. Oh, not even that one. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. This is a, a, a hidden this is a hidden hidden gem uh it's not the remake the eli was it eli roth who did that remake yeah. i feel like um, it was yeah yeah um well brian garfield the guy who wrote the original book the death wish was based on um it was also adapted uh, into a movie in 2007 called death sentence which was directed by james wan the guy who brought us saw and the conjuring and aquaman um and I guess this one's this one. I saw it a while back, and I thought it was really good. Um, it's no Death Wish, obviously, but I think it's very different from Death Wish. And I think this one maybe follows the book a little bit more. Um, but it's it's about a guy who wants to get revenge 
on a bunch of hoodlums. And then out, outside of that very basic conceit, it's very different from, um, from death wish. It's, it's a lot less like minimal, you know, like death wish is great because it's like, essentially it's just a guy on a bus waiting to get mugged and then he hurts people. <laughs> you know, like this is like a lot more, the protagonist is a lot more proactive and it's a lot, a lot more like a, a traditional sort of modern action movie. Uh, stars Kevin Bacon in the the Paul Kersey role. Hmm. Although I guess his name is Nick Hume. It's not even Paul Kersey. What the fuck? Is he still an architect? I don't remember. I, th- I think he might yeah. be. It's been a while since I've seen it. I mean, it's been like 15 years or something. Um, but, but yeah, an, an often overlooked movie by James Wan, who's gone on to much bigger, greater things and overlooked in the Death Wish family as well. So it's... Uh, it's worth tracking down, I think. Yeah, I, I would be very interested in, in checking this out. I, I mean, I, I love the original series. I like Kevin Bacon. And uh, I'm cool with James Wan. I got, I got no issues with James Wan. So uh, this sounds like it would be up my alley. Um, yeah. Well, what what else is up your alley? What, what do you got uh, on your list here? Well, let's get to the very exciting part of uh, the program now where I take a left turn and I stop uh, participating in the the pre-planned segment and I try and wedge in my own little segment here, a segment within a segment (laughs) that's called uh, Porno Adaptations, I guess, the game. Okay. Uh, (laughs) So there's this BuzzFeed list that I, I just sent you a link to called 17 porn parodies that are too awesome for their own good and what they've done is they've provided you know a list of these porn parodies um but the title and like the cover of the parody is obscured at first so what i Mm -hmm. thought we could do is go through this list and try and guess what the porno parody adaptation would be of this property and, you know, I guess we'll, we can keep score, see okay. if, if one of us is, uh, you know, more successful in, in naming these pornos. But uh, it could be fun. Or maybe it might be really dumb. But I, there's really only, only one way to, to find out, I guess. <laughs> I agree. I agree. So this very first one is Star Trek The Next Generation. And I will admit that I've already seen this cover. Uh, when I pulled up this list, I, I checked the first one out, and that's what prompted me uh, the idea to, to even do this. So I'm not going to participate in this first one, but do you want to guess what Star Trek The Next Generation might be in its porno adaptation? Um, I feel like... I want to put the word whore in there somewhere because if this was Star Wars, it would be Star Whores. So like my brain just like wants to that round, uh, round peg into like a square slot. Um, star tits, I would say. <laughs> star tits. I, I like that. I mean, that's that, you know, I, I would buy that if you were pitching that at, at my porn studio. Uh, but no, let's, let's click on it and let's see what we got. Set of course, sex trek. Sex trek. The next penetration. Should have so known. You, you got two puns in there, starring Jenna Fine, Gianna Fine. Yeah, the star of uh, Hackle Lantern. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, please believe me. I do believe you. 
Well, this <laughs> this second one, so no no points awarded on that first one. Sad to say, uh-huh. uh, this second one is of interest to you. I would say, in fact, I would be shocked if this one is not already in your personal collection. Uh, <laughs> I would imagine this is stashed under your bed. It's the porno adaptation of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And I, I think I um, know what this this must be. Yeah. Well, there's like two or three Buffy porn parodies. I think there's at least one. I know that. Um. So, yeah, th- one of like one of them's pretty obvious what the name is, but I think that there's another one that's like. Just called like the Buffy, like the unofficial Buffy parody or something, you know, like how they're all named now. So, oh, yeah, yeah. not so, Buffy the Vampire Slayer Triple X. Yeah, so I, yeah, but one of them has an actual name that's like pretty, pretty clearly obvious. So yeah, I, it's, it's got to be Buffy the Vampire Layer, right? Yeah, indeed. Okay, let's let's tap to reveal. In fact, it is Buffy the Vampire Layer, which, yeah. I mean, I, I like it in a way. I, I actually kind of like that it's the laziest possible approach, but layer is not a word that means that, right? I mean, layer yeah. is like, it's like in Photoshop or what, you know, like layers to an onion, you know, like that's what layer means, but. Yeah, or, you can get cake. laid, but. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is actually very interesting because I, I know, like you said, I do have a. Buffy the Vampire Lair uh, DVD tucked under my mattress, but it's not this one. It's it's not um, this cover, or it's not even this movie. It's not this movie. So it doesn't Sorry. star Cinderella and Christy Mist. No, no. Um, this looks like maybe this is based on like the movie version or something. This looks older than oh, the one yeah. I have. The one I have is from like the late '90s. Uh, this looks like, or like the, maybe the early 2000s, something like that. Like this looks earlier, so this might be. Based on the movie rather than the TV show. I, I smell a JFD theme show, bro. Well, I have to get to the bottom of this. I smell an expanding porno collection in, in Bowman's, uh, you know, under Bowman's bed. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I got to get to the porno store quick. So two points for that. We each get a point. Nicely done. Uh, moving on to the Dukes of Hazard, you know, and their famed Daisy yeah. Dukes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like it's just going to be the fucks of Hazard. Could it be the fucks of Jizzard? No, I don't think it's Jizzard. <laughs> um, you don't think it's like the Dukes of Jizzard? Oh, it could be. Yeah, maybe. I think it's going like to be the... When you got two Zs in, in a row, you, you got to take advantage. That's true. It could be the Dicks of Hazard. I don't know if that's oh, too obvious. Yeah, and it could be a gay porno. Well, but that's even that's even true. Straight, yeah. I mean, you got dicks and straight pornos too. Yeah, um, I think it's. I'm gonna go with the Dukes of Horniness. Okay, I'm, I'm locking in with, with the fucks of Hazard, <laughs> which <Okay. laughs> doesn't, doesn't make any sense. But let's see. Oh, we were so oh. close. You had it. The winner of Best Gay Feature 2007 AEBN VOD Awards, The Dicks of Hazard. Yeah, that shows us for overthinking this. We just got to go with the easiest, simplest, dumbest pun. 
Man, and, and this after Kevin showed us gay porn. Kevin made me watch gay porn. <laughs> How embarrassing. Yeah. Kevin, right. please come over for gay sex. <laughs> Moving on to number four, 21 Jump Street, starring uh, Channing Tatum looking a, a little bit like John Cena in this photo, and Jonah Hill. Yeah, looking like a guy who would tell his uh, surfing girlfriend to not surf on the internet. <laughs> Yeah, that's classic Jonah Hill. Um, 21 Jump Street. What are we, jumping bones in this title? I think it's got to be 21 Hump Street. I think that's clear. Yeah. Yeah. What about 21 Hump Sheet? Or Sheets? Uh, I don't think. No, is that's that crazy. a hat on a hat? That's, <laughs> indeed it is, yeah. I'm, I'm going Hump Sheets. Okay. Um, so let's see. Tap to reveal. 21 Hump Street. They just went mm-hmm. street. They could have been more creative with this they very, were cre- very gay looking porno. Yeah, they were creative in that they hired Ray Mysterio. <laughs> <laughs> Does look like Ray. Star- yeah. Starring the Jet Set Men. I mean, I'm interested to find out who those, those guys are, why they're called the Jet Set Men. Yeah, man, if you ever wanted to see Rey Mysterio switch from a 619 to a 69, this this is the picture for you. <laughs> Indeed. All right. Tomb Raider, Lara Croft Tomb Raider, featuring Angelina Jolie. It got a porno parody, as you would imagine. It's got to be Boob Raider. You would think, on account of Angelina Jolie having very good boobs. It's not going to be Womb Raider, right? That's that's too perverse, <laughs> even for the porno people. That's what I was thinking that it would be. You think it's going to be Womb Raider? I th- yeah. You think I mean, they they want to you know evoke the image of a womb during sex? Yeah, they want to evoke the image of a guy spelunking in a womb. Okay, I'm going Boob Raider. <laughs> boob Raider, all right. Got here. Let's check. Oh, oh yeah. Moft in Womb Raider. That's disgusting. And you are running away with this. You got three points. I got one point. I gotta catch up, dude. Well, I'm you know I'm good at coming up with the like the stupidest puns on earth. You know, <laughs> this is my whole thing. Uh, let's see what you got for the born identity then. The womb identity. <laughs> it seems very likely. Oh, this one's obvious. It's got to be something titty. Just the born ident titty or something. It's the porn identity. Oh. Gotta be. It's gotta be. They're going meta with the title, I think. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to steal your answer because I'm, I'm falling behind and this is getting embarrassing. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going with the porn identity as well. Okay. Show me porn identity. It is the porn identity starring Jessica James. Very exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, legally blonde. What do we got for legally blonde? Good question. Barely legally blonde. Yeah, I, yeah. I bet that. I bet that's what it is. Let's see. Legally oh, no. boned. Legally Boned, that's a good one. Nobody would have expected Legally Boned. Yeah. I do like that that would, like that they're, 
doing it in accordance with the law, you know? The bone. <laughs> yeah. the, the exact opposite of barely legally blonde is, is yeah. legally blown, boned. Like, yeah, no, it's all on a, the up and up here. Yeah, a, a lot of respect here. Yeah. Very consensual. Well, Saturday Night Fever. Hmm. If I was making a porno parody of Saturday Night Fever... I feel like Saturday night's probably still going to be in there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what am I replacing fever? Beaver? It's got to be yep. a beaver, right? Got to be beaver. Yeah. I feel like this is like one of those ones that like, you know, like whenever there's like a scene in like the office or something and they go rent a movie, like somebody or like go rent a porno movie or porn comes up. This is like one of the go-to like porn parody titles, Saturday Night Beaver, I think. And let's click. Yeah, it's it's the beaver. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. On a triple feature tape together with Disco Lady and the Nightbird. Yeah, that's a, an extended play VHS tape. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, okay. Moving on to Downton Abbey. Downton Abbey. Which I'm kind of surprised that they made one of these. I mean, I guess they are still making these porno parodies, but... It, oh, yeah. They love to make them. Seems like Dame Maggie Smith would not be my first thought when it comes to, you know, pornography, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anything on the BBC does is not designed to make your penis hard. How about this? Let me pitch this at you. How about doggy... T- Doggy style Abbey? I was going to say Doggy Town <laughs> Abbey, but that doesn't make any sense. Um, what can we do? That's here? better than mine. I was thinking downtown or Downton Fanny, you know, like a butt. Yeah, there's got to be something better here. Hold, hold on. We can, we can crack this code. Downton. Going it's, it's, Downton Abbey? Oh, maybe. Yeah, maybe. How about it's going to be Downton Flabby and it's and it's like a you know like a, a big chicks kind of porno. Oh, you think it's like throwing a curveball at us? Yeah. The you know what parameters I mean? of what the pun could mean. Yeah. All right, that could be. I'm going. I'm going with Downton Fanny. Okay, let's click. Mm. Oh, listen. Down on Abby, which no one would ever get because it's a meaningless couple. <laughs> Three trio of words. I do appreciate that this one was directed by Gazman. Gazman's one of my favorite directors. Yeah. Starring Ben Dover. Well, of course. They always work him in. All right, that's absurd. Uh, oh, this next one's easy. Yeah, The X Files. I feel like I've seen this. I feel like I know people that own this tape, and it's. You know, it's the very famous Sex Files. Yeah. Yeah, the Sex Files. And, oh, you love this to is see. A, this is a different Sex Files than the one that I've seen. I believe oh, yeah. this looks like a much newer one. I smell another JFD theme show. I ruined. Watch all the all the Buffies, all the Sex Files. Well, no matter how many theme shows we do, I'm never going to watch the next one, which is a Napoleon Dynamite porno parody. That's something I don't really need in my life. Yeah. I don't even know what this means. I think we got to use the word pole somehow, right? It's going to be... 
my pole is dynamite or something. Yeah. He's talking about how be. cool his pole is, that it's dynamite. I'm a little like thrown off after the down on Abby, because now it can just be anything. Like it could just be like Napoleon fucks and sucks. You know, like <laughs> it, could just, it could just be whatever. Yeah. That's what I'm going. I'm going with Napoleon fucks and sucks. Okay, I'm, I'm going with Napoleon bone apart, and it's and it's bone dash apart, even though that's, okay. this is dynamite. And that could be. That could be. Oh, this is the worst. This is the worst what? possible answer. <laughs> Napoleon dynamite. No. That's awful. It looks like it's like. The most low budget porn. It looks so terrible. Yeah, it looks it like, looks my, like friends, if, like my friends made a porno. Yeah, it's like if like a high school play did a version of Napoleon <laughs> Dynamite, it would look like this. But with a naked lady. Well, we assume that she's naked behind that black bar. It's tough to tell. That's true. She might not be. Alright, Ace Ventura, pet detective. Is that? Do we really want pornos about pet detectives? I feel like, I mean, a, you know, a regular private dick, but a, a pet dick porno? I don't know, dude. Well, there's a lot of sex in that original movie. Yeah, I guess so. It's erotic. Um, I think this is... Well, there's going to be two, I think. Yeah. Because it can't be Ass Ventura Pet Detective. It's going to be Ass Ventura and then something else. Porn Detective, maybe? Yeah, Porn Detective is just too easy. Yeah, maybe Porn Detective is the one that's the sure bet and Ass is not. But I. How about how about Ace Vagina Porn Detective? Okay, do, that do we like be. that? I, I like it. Well, well I'll, the- I'll go with Ass Ventura Porn Detective. You, you go with Ace vagina <laughs> okay. see who wins. I don't think that it could be anything else besides those two a thrilling oh, oh I, I didn't click yet so you know oh. now what I don't know I know what you reaction. Know. It's hearing a little you say it's... hearing you say oh I feel yeah. like there's something All right, it's a little different than what I thought I mean I'm I'm intrigued uh, I want to watch the movie Ass Ventura crack detective. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they Somebody doubled down on the butt buttons. I like it. I mean, I, I think you get credit for that. You, you had the Ass Ventura. That's all that really matters at the end of the day. Crack detective. All right. Game of Thrones, of course, probably has a thousand porno parodies. The show itself is kind of a porno. Yeah, uh, yeah. If you ask my mom, especially, she'll tell you that. Um, I'm going Game of Bones, I guess, right? Is is it that easy? Yeah, I think that's that, yeah, that seems pretty pretty clear. Pretty cut and dry here. Oh my goodness. Oh, no, okay. Oh, okay. Well, no yeah. points awarded for Game of Thrones and that's Epic what we get. Men.com new series. That's what we get for coming at this from a heteronormative standpoint is we yeah. totally miss gay of thrones it's a better pun in a lot of ways than game of bones you <laughs> yeah, know because absolutely. game of bones you might think it, oh did they make a game show version of that tv show bones that i think was like a detective <laughs> show or something 
Um, okay, Game Game of Thrones. Uh, also, thought, it's oh. it's like a the the poster, the VHS box is like a close up of like a dude who like looks very strong and tough, and it says real big. I do not have a gentle touch, so like <laughs> I I already feel sexually abused just by looking at that. Is that a reference to something in Game of Thrones? I do not have a gentle touch. I don't even know what that means. I hope so. Otherwise, it's even more abusive. Well, speaking of abuse, Stanley Kubrick's A Clockwork Orange got a porno parody at some point. I think I've seen sexy photos from this. I think I've seen a sexy version of Alex DeLarge, and I've been, you know, titillated by that. But I, I don't know that I know what they called it. There is, of course... You know, the obvious, a fuck work orange. Mm -hmm. I actually know this one. This was actually going to be on my list of uh, underappreciated adaptations that are better than than the more famous one. I know this movie. (laughs) Yeah, uh, so I do know this movie. Um, You know this movie because you exclusively watch pornos that are shot in NADSAT? I do, yeah. And, you know, anytime I don't like a Kubrick movie, I just watch the porno version, you know? Like... So I can still feel involved in the fandom. Uh, so so I, I do know the answer to this one. So I, I won't spoil it for you yet. Could it be a cuckold orange? Oh my goodness. That would be wonderful. I mean, it's almost kind of thematically resonant with the original source material. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I... That would be my guess. So I, you know, if it's not that or fuck work, I mean, I, I'm just going to be tapping to reveal now. Let's let's see what we got. Oh, of course, it's a clockwork orgy. Mm-hmm. Most certainly is. And yeah, this is the version that I've seen titillating photographs from. All right, they they made a uh, a Goonies porno parody. That doesn't seem appropriate whatsoever. Oh, no. <laughs> the children, for God's sake. And I, I love the description here. The Goonies is an enchanted adventure in which a group of young kids are on a quest for treasure. But if you're craving a film with a different kind of booty, you may want to catch... Hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. I, th- I, think, I, I think I know what it is. I think I, I, think I got this. It's not going to be the pornies. That's what I is thought it- at first. Could it be the goopies? And goop is supposed to mean semen or something. <laughs> I think it's going to be the poonies. I don't like this whole poon word. I don't like it either, but I think... I don't know what else... There's not a lot of other places to go unless they throw us like a total curveball. If it's like the gainies... It could be the gainies. Could very well be the gainies. <laughs> Um, I'm going Gainies. You know what? I feel like I, I fucked up earlier, and, and it's it's kind of on me to be more progressive with my picks going forward. So I, I gotta go Gainies. Okay. I'm still going with the Poonies. Okay. Oh, son of a bitch. Here we this go. This is Starting. why you're the expert. I am the you, porn expert. You knew the Poonies. You knew this Amberlynn Sharon Mitchell movie that sounds kind of good. It's got Kevin James in it. My favorite. The Poonies. Gonna have to watch that one for the show at some point. Do you think they fuck sloth? Is that a thing? Absolutely. 100%. 
I don't yeah. think you can make that movie without that scene happening. Yeah. That has to happen. Does one of the girls get her hand put into a blender? I hope not. Yeah. That'd be rough. That's, that's too scary. All right. A Nightmare on Elm Street. I feel like we, we know this, right? There's a bunch of these. I think there's at least a, a few. Yeah, there are a ton of these. And um, one of them is called A Wet Dream on Elm Street. Yeah. And, yeah, I, the the one that is called that, or at least one of the ones, I think that there are multiple ones, is the poster for that is a parody of the poster here that they're showing, which is Nancy in bed with Freddy's claw over and, like, the painting kind of stuff. So I think that it's going to be a wet dream on Elm Street. But there are many other ones. I don't know what the other one's name is. Well, let's click through and reveal it is a wet dream on Elm Street. You see, Freddy's claws are dildos. (laughs) Oh, I didn't see that. Thank you for pointing that out. (laughs) I've not seen this movie, but I did. I downloaded it for one of our uh, Happy Nude Years, and then I chickened out because it's got real sex in it and I don't like to pick those kind of movies for Happy New Year as you know I just like to pick my Jim Wynorski movies so yeah it's been it's been waiting we'll do it on the show one day I think there's an opportunity for another theme show because I believe there's multiple yeah um, and the final one I think yep the final one and l- let's see can I make up the deficit you've got one two three four five six seven points to my three points can I make it up in this final question which I see here is listed as being worth five points that's interesting okay uh, all right. seems, like, seems like I could make <laughs> it up then uh, planet of the apes gotta be just planet of the ass right it'd be um, I know that there's like a very faint or not. A, I mean, very famous. If you used to read Fangoria in like 2004, um, like softcore porn parody of this. Um, but I don't know if that's the one that one's called Playmate of the Apes. But I don't know if that one would count. I don't know if they're just doing all like, like X-rated stuff here. If so, I have no clue what this would even be. The final answer, Playmate of the Apes. I'm, I'm going with Planet of the Asses. Yeah, I guess I'll have to go with Playmate of the Apes and then just hope that they include the softcore stuff. All right, let's see if I get those five points. Oh, my goodness. Playmate, Playmate of, of the, the Apes. Apes. We got to do this on the show for sure. Kevin would love it. He loves starring, these movies. Yeah, starring Misty Monday and Debbie Roshan. Yeah. And some apes. Hot ape lady. It's got the... Uh, the ape from where time began, it looks like. Yep, that's him. His long-awaited second appearance in cinema. <laughs> 20 years later in a weird softcore movie. Well, that was exciting. Uh, official score, Parker Bowman, 1,600 points to my measly three. So congrats. I don't know how you <laughs> did it. I guess it was a lifetime of watching pornos. Uh, and congrats. It was all well, thank worth you. it. These are the kinds of pornos I've been watching over here. <laughs> so hopefully you didn't mind that that little segue out of your segment and into my little weird sub segment. 
Yeah, that's great. I like it. I like it a great deal. And I, just to close out the segment, I do want to say that I prefer uh, the American let me in to the original uh, let the right one in. So let's just oh, breeze really? right past that with no conversation at okay. all. And I suppose Forget you I like the, uh, the Spike Lee old boy as well. <laughs> of course. Of course I do. Um, and the Spanish Dracula. You've told me that well, multiple times. I actually do like Spanish Dracula more than normal Dracula. It's fucking sick, dude. Yeah, it looks way better. Uh, but let's find out what the Why are they fighting Dracula, for God's sakes? <laughs> let's find out what the kids in Jungfu Dinnerland feel about all of these developments. Uh, we got a lot of voicemails here. The first one, of course, is from our beloved. Please welcome Leah Sweet. Man. You're so sweet. You're so sweet. So, I was listening for some reason to that old Kid Rock and Cheryl Go duet from like a while ago picture and I think the woman in the song he's singing about is that old lady from the Where's the Beast commercial because he says in the song I put your picture away because I can't look at you when I'm lying next to Herb. And I think that um, he had been with the Where's the Beef lady whose name escaped me. Oh, Clara Peller. That's right, Clara Peller. I think that was his ex-girlfriend, but then he um, got on the train of dating Herb from those old Burger King commercials from the 80s. How if you spotted Herb, who was the only man in the whole wide world, he'd never eaten a Whopper sandwich um you know because kid rock is kind of a clout chaser when it comes to fast food um icons you know that's the idea but i'm pretty sure that's like the hidden meaning of this song thank you mia um i agree i haven't put a whole lot of time into considering the lyrics to that song but i agree 100 percent with your interpretation I agree as well. I think we should put that on rapgenius.com today. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, we got lots more. Here's another. Hey, Junk Food Dinner. This is Carlos from California. Just calling to say, really enjoyed that episode about Thief you guys did. Um, but I got a little thing about something that Sean mentioned and kind of Parker also commented on, which was the uh, the color tone in the movie about how you guys said that like, oh, it must have been pretty ahead of its time if it was using this kind of blue color tone that's become pretty popular with movies and like our contemporary movies and how some of them don't do it as good and whatnot. And I got a little, I hate to, I hate to break it to you guys, but that's a new addition. Um, for the Criterion Blu-ray release, the director's cut, um, man was heavily involved and he decided that he wanted this movie to have a blue color palette, so they color graded it to be more bluish. And if you watch the original theatrical version, which I think is the version on Tubi, and I only say this because I know Tubi had it. I I clicked on it, started watching it, and I realized, huh, this is the neutral normal colors, but I wonder some of the scenes are still different or whatever. But I need to just kind of confirm. So, 
if you want to rewatch Thief and see what it looks like without the blue c- colors, go ahead and watch it on um, on Tubi to see what, how big the difference is, and you know, ask yourself, is this something that like looks better with or without it? So, anyways, um, I thought I'd give you guys a little extra tidbit. Loving the show. Uh, can't wait to hear what you guys have to say about uh, Oppenheimer and Barbie on the next episode. Hopefully we get to hear some of uh, Kevin's thoughts on it. Uh, and uh, just keep doing what you're doing. Uh, junk food supper is great. And I'm really liking how you guys are evolving this. Anyways, love you. Thank you. We love you too. Um, and, and we love yeah, that factoid. About I do love this. Yeah, this is pretty wild. I was not I, I was not expecting that there would be two vastly different uh versions of this film. It does Are you gonna go kind back of, and watch the Well, I mean eventually probably I will, but it, it does kind of bum me out in a way. You know, even though I, I liked that blue tone when I watched it, I, I don't like this whole thing with there being competing versions of movies out there in the marketplace. I, I kind of feel like once the movie is shipped to theaters, it's finished. You know, don't go back. Don't change anything ever again. Because uh, then you destroy my ability to have like a historical record of what this thing is that we're even talking about. You know, now I talk to somebody about the movie Thief and what I'm talking about is not even the same movie that they're talking about potentially. And, and that's... I think that puts us in a dangerous place culturally. I think so. Yeah, it is weird, especially because, I mean, you know, with a movie like this, it's like, you know, like everybody knows that if you watch a Blade Runner, there's different versions. Like, even if you're not a Blade Runner man, like I'm not, like, I still know there's like fucking eight different shitty versions of that movie out there in the world. But Thief is like kind of an under the radar movie, despite, I mean, I guess it's put out by Criterion and it's Michael Mann, so maybe not so much, but like. You know, you're not as informed as you would be with like E.T. and the different versions of that or like, you know, so, so that you can kind of make or the Star Wars to make like an informed decision on what version you want to see. Um, so it is a little trickier if, you know, with a movie like this. And I feel tricked. They pulled one over on you. That's that's how they got us. <laughs> Let's see if this next color. Uh, we'll pull one over on us. Little Red Eddie, born in Jersey City, the summer of 75. Never met his father, his mother didn't bother to catch his name as fast as he came. Junk food supper, Zeddy from New York calling in. It's my own, it's my own little thing I'm doing. It's my own little intro. I'm, I, the only time I ever called in drunk, so I apologize for that. But I got to say, I was listening to the most recent episode, and, you know, you're talking about your next step in Michael Mann. It's got to be the one movie that wasn't mentioned out of all of his movies, and I'm so ashamed of you, Parker, specifically, because you're a man of journalism, good sir, and of great journalism, and you've got to pick The Insider, Michael Mann's 1999 masterpiece, his best film, top of his game direction, Al Pacino, top five performance, fucking Russell Crowe, Top one performance. Oh. I mean, it's a fucking, it's a fucking doozy, man. I mean, yeah, it's about cigarettes are bad and like whatever, but it's, it's about the fucking, the fucking 
modern age putting the loyalty of man through the ultimate test, you know? It's like fucking shit, man. Fucking guys go through it, and they're through it together, and they don't even like each other, but they do it because they have principles, okay? I love you kisses. Mwah. <laughs> well, thank you. We love you. Uh, I've actually never even heard of this Michael Mann movie, so I guess I need to see it. Yeah, it is about journalism, and I... I Oftentimes I don't like movies about journalism though. Like um, I got in trouble on Letterboxd because of that movie Spotlight. I thought that that movie was a piece of shit um, yeah. because it was like just boring and self-congratulatory and like there's like a whole subplot about 9-11 and I understand that 9-11 was a part of the, the actual story but like to bring it into a movie 20 years later I think is like, like kind of like – adding a sort of cynical, like, Hey, this is heavy, isn't it? This whole story is heavy. Nine eleven's involved. I don't know. I didn't like that movie, but, um, <laughs> I'm getting derailed here, but like, so sometimes I don't like movies about journalism because I think they're self-congratulatory and most journalism that happens is like very like boots on the ground type of shit, uh, from small town papers, but I'm also biased because I'm a boots on the ground, small town paper guy. Um, so I don't know, maybe I won't like this, but it sounds interesting. So I will definitely check it out. Yeah, I will let you check it out first. You know, you being the official mansman of the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if it sounds, if it, you know, if you enjoy it uh, and it sounds interesting to me as you relay it to me, uh, maybe I'll check it out as well. But have you seen Network? I, I think you would like Network in terms of journalism-ish kind of movies. I have not. I've been meaning to. I'm sure that I would love it. Yeah, that's that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. I've heard nothing but good things. For a bad one, see that Spielberg, uh, Tom Hanks one from the past five years. Oh, yeah. That one, yeah. The one with the Mr. Show guys. Yeah, that one was pretty not good. Yeah. Yeah, there's some other ones out there that are like, I don't know. For some reason, they always arc me. I don't know. And I mean, not that like the people in Spotlight weren't like real journalists or whatever, but it's like the movie just makes it seem like they're superheroes rather than journalists. And maybe that's what I don't like about it. I don't know. Also, it's like shot like a fucking TV show and it looks ugly and it's a piece of shit movie. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> you know who the real superheroes are, though? Who's that? The junk food junkies out there who call in. I 100% agree. Um, in fact, we got more of them. Here's another one. Hey, Junk Food Boys, Peter from Portland here, um, calling to, calling actually to comment, I know I'm a few weeks late, but I wanted to comment on the good, the bad, and the ugly. That was an awesome episode, and the whole time that uh, Sean and Parker were talking about their research, uh, I was waiting for them to mention that Dario Argento was involved in the production of that movie. Oh. You didn't mention it, and so I went and looked it up, and I couldn't find it anywhere. Turns out what I was thinking of is Dario Argento was, like, one of the writers for Once Upon a Time in the West, but, like, I swear I heard some anecdote somewhere that, like, he was on set with Sergio Leone, and that's part of what inspired Argento to start directing his own movies. Um I can't find any evidence that he was anything other than a writer. But in doing that research, I found that uh, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly had 
stunt has a stunt credit for John Landis? What is this about? Do you guys know anything about this? Uh, I mean, luckily there were no helicopters involved, but yeah, it's right there on Letterboxd says John Landis did stunts. So anyway, uh, wondering if you know about that. One more thing, just saw the movie The King of New York. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but that movie is fucking excellent. I think uh, Parker in particular would like it. It's very thematically dense and uh, features complicated, rich bad guys. Uh, but yeah, it's it's really, really good. Um, great 90s cast. And yeah, check it out if you haven't seen it. All right. Bye. Thank you for calling in. And yeah, I didn't know anything about these Argentos, did you? You're more of an Argentosman than I. I did know that that he worked on Once Upon a Time. Um, but I I didn't I feel like maybe yeah, maybe they might have been collaborating before that. I'm I'm not sure to be honest. Um but yeah, if we do ever review Once Upon a Time, which I think we will at some point, uh we'll look more into it, I guess. Now it's mm-hmm. Yeah, now it's incumbent upon us to to do that research. Yeah, got to do more research. Um, And yeah, The King of New York, I've been wanting to see. Um, It's in Abel Ferrara's. I know my man Hatless has recommended it to me at least a couple of times, so I should probably get around to actually seeing it. Um, Looks like it's on Tubi right now, so maybe the time is is right. But um, yeah, have you seen this one? No, I'm I'm in the same boat as you. You know, I, I feel like I've wanted to see it for a while, um, but I've not gotten around to it. Okay, well, let's get around to this uh, final voicemail. Let's see what uh, this person has to say. Hey guys, it's Tom from Adelaide. Uh, yeah, just loving loving the show. You're all doing wonderful work. Um, yeah, basically, I re- yeah I really enjoyed your uh, thing on Thief. And I do love Michael Mann movies. I've got to say, I think you should go for Manhunter next. Um, I did rewatch Collateral based on, you know, what you guys were talking about, you know, with this. And it's a great film, really good. But unfortunately, you know, only about 30% of it was actually shot on film. Um, the rest of it, I mean, I kind of noticed and then looked it up. The rest of it was uh, shot on digital, which, you know, it's fair. Most films are shot on digital these days, but it was shot on early digital, and now Michael Mann's stuff really just, like, shines and sparkles with proper, you know, well, basically, you know, cinematic, you know, or kind of uh, being shot on actual proper film, not digital. So, yeah. Uh, hope you guys, uh, you know, take that into account, but, you know, it, they're all good films anyway. And as usual, I'm just going to reiterate that I really want you to, uh, well, basically, uh, do Extreme Prejudice because oh. it's a fucking kick-ass film and I think you guys will like it. Okay, cool. Uh, take care. Have a good one. Cheers, guys. Bye. Thank you, Tom. Uh, we will do Extreme Prejudice at some point. It's I know everybody wants everybody's eager uh, for that movie. Yeah, um, I, I think we've just been waiting until at least a couple of porno parodies were released of it so that we could do that <laughs> theme show. You know, maybe Triple Extreme 
prejudice, mm-hmm. you know, once that comes out and once extreme penis is also <laughs> comes out. <laughs> yeah. Or extremely gay prejudice, I think, that, and to be more progressive. That's probably what it would be. Probably. Uh, yeah, once we once those criteria are met, then we'll have a theme show cooking. Um, but yeah, collateral, damn it. Yeah, or just collateral. Collateral, um, it is one of those early digital movies, and I think a lot of those don't hold up. Like, I think 28 Days Later looks like absolute shit now. Um and even Michael Mann did that Miami Vice movie, which was like an early digital movie, and it looks like garbage. But I, I've rewatched Collateral recently, and I thought it held up. And I think it's because a lot of it's like super like handheld, like it's like a claustrophobic movie where you're stuck in this taxi with like just these two characters, like a lot of the time. So like because you know, so it's like because it's such as like small intimate movie, I think that the handheld works well still, but. But I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I need to rewatch it again. It's been a few years, so. Um, but yeah, a lot of that early digital stuff doesn't doesn't hold up. You were also watching Collateral on your smartwatch. Is that true? Yeah, I, I was yeah, watching so. it on my watch on a bus, and that's just not the right way to do it. Yeah, maybe not the right conditions, you know, to to make the proper assessment. Um, I'm I'm surprised at how much Michael Mann chat we've prompted over the past few weeks, you know, it, it feels like uh, you really hit a nerve with the, with the selection of thief. People love this man. Yeah. Yeah. He's, and yeah, he's kind of been a blind spot for us. I don't think that we've ever done any of his other movies on the show before. So, um, well, except yeah, people- for to live and die in LA, the, the famously <laughs> man directed film. Yeah. His most famous work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> My bad. Um, yeah, we're definitely going to do Manhunter because I think, Sean, that you would like that one a great deal. And I like it too. I uh, just read the book that it's based on a couple of weeks ago. So I'm kind of itching to get back in there and rewatch that movie having read the book. Um, I like that movie quite a bit. See? Kevin likes it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so if anybody out there wants to send us a voicemail, you can do so at 347-746-JUNK. That's 347-746-5865. Let us know how you feel about Michael Mann. Um, let us know if there's any research we missed out on. All that fun stuff. Um, so we're going to take a, we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about the journey to the center of the earth. So stick around. Hell yeah, where's my free TV?
there are two ways to help out junk food dinner. The first way involves sacrificing a goat or a human baby on an altar made of dragon bones. Or, next time you're on iTunes, you can leave us a 5-star review. You can write the comment that says everyone should listen to Junk Food Dinner. You can add as many exclamation points as you want. This will help more people find the show on iTunes. Recording each episode of Junk Food Dinner is the most physically and emotionally taxing activity known to man. It leaves us exhausted and bloody after the show. The least you can do is give us a good review. Immediately, we should be leaving first thing in the morning. Is the journey short, or is it long? Dumb with astonishment and amazement which bordered on stupefaction, <laughs> they fled the forest. Instinctively, they made towards the Liddenbrook Sea. Discovering a rusty dagger on the beach and the carved initials of the explorer before them on a slab of granite, they realized that they were once again treading the route of Arne Saknussen. Following a short sea journey around a cape, they came ashore where a dark tunnel plunged deep into rock. And venturing down, their progress was halted by a piece of rock blocking their way. After deciding to blow their way through and setting the charge, they put out to sea for safety. With the explosion, the rocks before them opened like a curtain and a bottomless pit appeared in the shore. The explosion had caused an earthquake. The abyss had opened up and the sea was pouring into it. Down and down they plunged into the huge gallery, but on regaining their senses found their raft rising at tremendous speed. Trapped in the shaft of an active volcano, they rose through the ages of man to be finally expelled out on a mountainside riddled with tiny lava streams. Their journey was completed, and they found themselves 3,000 miles from their original starting point in Iceland. They had entered by one volcano, and they had come out by another. With the blue mountains of Calabria in the east, they walked away from the mountain that had returned them, the frightening Mount Etna. I mean, how shall I know what to pack? Martha, we are going on a journey, a journey to the center of the earth.
Tom. All right, welcome back to Junk Food Supper. Our movie tonight is going to be Where Time Began from 1977, also known as Journey to the Center of the Earth. This version uh, was directed by Juan Piquer Simone, and it was the first of two Jules Verne movies that he made. Uh, and it, I guess this is kind of like an early-ish production for the guy. Uh, he made this one before he made Supersonic Man. Uh, well before he made Pieces or Slugs or The Pod People. Uh, I think this is one, one of his first few. And, uh, you know, this movie kind of has a rap online for being sort of boring, people say. But, you know, I, I was figuring that, you know, that was probably coming from people who maybe had never seen the James Mason version, was my guess, maybe. So uh, I figured, it, you know, it would still be worth covering in what is sure to be an ongoing podcast series, Journey to the Center of Podcasting, uh, now that we've done two of these. But uh, let's dig into the plot of this. <laughs> How um, many of these are there? Is it just like the the Rock and the Brendan Fraser one left, or are there many more? No, there's like 15 or so. Yeah, they, they made a bunch, oh and some goodness. of them look god-awful. Like, there's a lot of, like, Australian made-for-TV versions that look fucking terrible. But um, this one looked good to me before uh, I watched it, so... <laughs> uh, you know, I, I was confident in, in my selection that there would be something interesting to talk about here, you know, just beyond the fact of it being another iteration in this series, you know. But let's dig in. Um, the story starts once again with a gaggle of 1800s scientists in a stuffy old scientist type lecture hall, uh, arguing that traveling to the center of the earth would be impossible, you know, as if they hadn't seen the, the first movie. Uh, thankfully, you know, that scene, which, you know, we had a version of that scene in the 1959 version. Thankfully, that scene is only about 30 seconds long or something in this version before we smash cut to the opening credits and we get shots of Iceland. Um, this movie being only 80 minutes, you know, compared to the two plus hours runtime of the last one, uh, means that we got to move briskly into the journey. Uh, but they do spend a little bit more time in the overworld first, I think about 15 minutes or so, uh, wherein we establish that, uh, for one, that Professor Lindenbrook uh, has found an old book in an old bookshop written by an old Ice Icelander, I guess. Um, he then finds within the book a map to the cave in Iceland that he'll need to breach to, uh, to start his journey to that center of the earth. And then in fairly rapid order, he enlists his niece, Glaubin is her name, I think, uh, and her lover, Axel, as well as an Icelandic tour guide, Hans. Um, and by the way, you know, this seems like a pretty serious scientific expedition to be journeying to the center of the earth. So I, I don't know why in these movies we wouldn't ever want maybe like another scientist or like a professional caver or something instead of like these two the random youngsters. I mean, I guess you got Hans, but still, you're asking Hans to carry a lot of weight here with these useless kids that you bring along. Yeah. You would also think that maybe they would bring scientific equipment. Like, they really just, like, grab their jackets yeah. and they're on their way. Or maybe it might be a nice idea to bring more than one day's worth of water, which they never <laughs> seem to do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyhow, they get to the cave pretty quickly and, you know, they adventure around the cave for a little bit. You know, they see a fun rubbery lizard guy that looks kind of like a ghoulie at one point. And, you know, they walk around complaining about the geothermal heat and how they're all thirsty and stuff like this. But then a twist, they encounter a mysterious man named Olsen 
uh, played here by Jack Taylor from Pieces. You might also recognize Jack Taylor from just a bunch of Euro schlock movies. Uh, he's mysterious, but he joins them uh, on their adventure, although they're kind of mean to him, I guess, because he's so mysterious. That gives them the right to just be kind of jerks to him. Um, and then another twist, uh, Axel, you know, one of the adventurers here, the, the young Axel, trips like an idiot and falls off a cliff. Uh, he doesn't die, but he is in a coma for two days. And then the very first thing that the professor recommends to this poor kid after he's been in a coma for two days is to go on a long swim in a large, potentially dangerous underground lake. You know, he's got like a bandage on his head and, and the professor pretty much just tosses him in this lake and says, you know, figure it out. It seems kind of questionable to me for a guy recovering from a massive head injury, but mm-hmm. you do you, Lindenbrook, I guess. Um, but sooner or later, after a brief interlude in the giant mushroom forest, uh, we end up at the giant Loch Ness monster battle scene between two goddamn Loch Ness monsters there in the underground lake. And these Loch Ness monsters look more like rubbery kids' toys than any other monster you've ever seen in a goddamn movie. Um, it's pretty wild. Mm. But at the same time, <laughs> you know, they didn't have to murder any iguanas for it. So I guess it's an upgrade from the last movie, right? Yeah. I like that's like, you know, knowing that this is a, a Spanish movie from 1977, I was like, man, there's going to be so many more dead animals in this one than the previous version, which had a lot of dead animals murdered uh, on screen. So, yeah, I was definitely surprised that that's not the way they went. But I was definitely surprised in that, you know, the monsters were just like those land before time hand puppets that you used to get a pizza hut, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. Yeah, they, they definitely look like toys that I purchased at CVS for a dollar when I was a kid. You know, these little dinosaur <laughs> yeah. toys. Um, but it's fun. I don't know. I, I I like a bad looking rubbery dinosaur. Why not? I mean, that's I think that's one of the, the simple thrills in life. Um, but speaking of dead animals, our heroes, you know, after escaping this Loch Ness monster battle, encounter some dead animals of their own when they st- stumble upon a giant turtle graveyard. Uh, and what I mean by that is, is not that the graveyard is giant, but these turtles are giant and, you know, they're not real dead animals. They are, uh, special effects. And, and, you know, I put the word special, I guess, in quotation marks there, but they're effects. Um, and it's kind of cool. This is a, a scene that was not in the last movie that we saw. Uh, they, you know, they stumble around this turtle graveyard. The turtles come back to life or, you know, I guess they were never really dead. They were just sleeping to begin with. Uh, and that's kind of a fun little scene. But then, after a big, dramatic, and kind of dangerous-looking shipwreck scene, they run into an actual King Kong, who looks great. I mean, I mean, he looks like very goofy and very weird and googly-eyed, but in my book, that's great. Did you like this King Kong? Yeah, he was definitely one of the, the sillier King Kongs I've seen. Um I was not expecting him down there because there was no King Kong in the other one that we were, we watched. Yeah. But yeah, I like this guy. He was he was fun. Um, they do a thing where like he's like kind of in the background and like they shoot him from a little bit far away and they put like these like fake weeds in between him and the camera, so he kind of looks like farther off and it kind of obscures him a little bit. And I thought that that helped. I mean, as much as you can help this terrible effect, I thought it helped. And um, yeah, so I, yeah, I like this scene with him. 
And I feel like it, it kind of makes sense, right? I mean, especially given the recent Kong movies. Was it Kong Skull Island? Or there's one of these where they do a whole thing where there's like a an underworld, right? That's full of dinosaurs that King Kong yeah. is also there. So it's cool to see it here in a, in a Journey movie. Probably the only Journey movie that's got a King Kong. And I, I love it. Uh, but then... After the King Kong, which, you know, I saw that and I thought, whoa, this, that's a pretty big twist. I didn't expect a King Kong in this movie. Then they deliver the real twist. And this is a twist that nobody would ever expect. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to spoil it here. And, and apologies for spoiling Where Time Began from 1977, a movie that I think you should watch. So if you, if you like, skip the rest of this review. Let's assume Bowman feels exactly the same as me. <laughs> And that he also recommends that you watch it because I'm going to spoil it. Um, but yeah, a twist that nobody would ever expect, which is they stumble upon a secret scientific laboratory with modern 20th century scientists, all of whom are clones of their new friend Olson, the mysterious man, which is pretty wild stuff. But then before we can spend any time there, we scamper off through an entire army of various rubbery dinosaurs and back onto the boat, which Hans has helpfully rebuilt, despite the fact that he's got no tools and almost no time to have done that. But seems like it was not a challenge for him. Were you blown away and shocked by this bizarre time-traveling scientist <laughs> plot line that gets wedged in for half a minute? Um, for the most part I was, um, but like there's early on, they show like that guy in like very, very fake old age makeup, you know, walking around with like the fake beard. Yeah, they do. Yep. So I was like, man, that guy's like too fake to not be something. So I was like, I kind of had it in my mind that something weird was going to happen, but never in a million years did I think it was going to be a laboratory full of clones. Well, and, and that's the kind of, uh, shocking twist that Juan, Pierre Simon Simone can uh, deliver for you. And, mm -hmm. and it, yeah, it, it was wild. I was like, what the hell? And <laughs> couldn't believe it. Um, yeah. Very, all the ways that this diverges uh, from the one we saw last week, which is to be fair, only like two ways uh, are great. I mean, they throw in a King Kong and they throw in a laboratory full of clones. So that's, that's good. Yeah. Um, pretty quickly after that sequence though, they, you know, they get on the boat, they're adventuring on, on the boat again and they run into like a dead end where like they hit like a, like a big cave wall at the edge of this underground lake. And this leads to a noble sacrifice, uh, by Olsen in a very weird scene where suddenly, he decides that the only way to save these people is to do a suicide bomb. And so he suicide bombs himself, which causes that kind of a chain reaction that we saw in the last movie and that we'll see in the next 14 iterations of the story that we review <laughs> where they get shot up like a cannon through the volcano, you know, but in this movie it's caused by this time travelers suicide bombing of himself which I, it's it's just weird because it like I don't understand why that's necessary, why it's got to be a suicide, how anyone knew that's what would happen when he would do that, why he doesn't just plant the bomb and walk away. 
so many questions about this scene. Yeah. I mean, it is a little bit for, for as, uh, you know, baffling as it is, at least there's some sort of like consequence and stakes to them being able to get out. Cause in the last one, they literally just like found a door and they're like, oh, okay, now we can go home yeah. if we walk through this door. <laughs> so at least there's some sort of drama. Well, and the drama doesn't end there because, you know, you would think maybe, okay, they've, they've escaped the underground, you know, they're, they've traveled through the volcano back up to the surface. Things are going to be hunky dory now as they were in the last movie, but no, because now it's time for another thrilling finale in which our heroes need to run away from stock footage of different volcanoes exploding at various times of day across <laughs> the planet. Um, which actually is kind of cool and kind of thrilling the way that they cut that together, but definitely a lot of stock footage. Um, and then they give us a, a little coda after that, where they give us some updates on how the characters fare after the film's events. And, you know, one of those codas includes kind of a, a funny reveal about Olsen that I, I guess I'll, I'll let you experience for yourself. But my favorite is the revelation about Hans in which they describe Hans being visited often by his loving cousins. And that's like the way that they end his saga is to talk about him being visited by his loving cousins, which is, I don't know, just a very strange coda mm -hmm. for that character. But overall, yeah, I mean, I, I think this one is actually kind of a winner. You know, I think especially when you consider what the budget for this movie probably was, and it's like, yeah, this was 15 years after the Fox version, but I still think it's impressive that, you know, an independent non-Hollywood production could compete even 15 years later with a big budget film. Uh, this was filmed entirely in Spain, but as we learned from the Leones, Spain can double for other countries pretty easily, it seems like. And, you know, they were able to afford some pretty decent period costumes, I thought, you know, especially considering, again, the, you know, the budget. I thought the cave environments looked kind of cool. You know, th there are some very obvious matte paintings, but, you know, they still got those cool giant mushrooms and stuff like that. And the way that Simone shoots this feels a little bit more like a horror movie than the last one. Like, there's some pretty effective use of close-ups and i really like the way that he shot that one scene with the quicksand uh, where the girl mm -hmm. falls in the quicksand i thought that was kind of thrilling um it is kind of strange that none of well I, I guess it makes sense but i was a little bit surprised to find out that you know it seems like none of the adaptations will follow the original book very close closely in terms of the actual book only has three people in the caves. It's got the professor, his nephew, Axel, and the Icelandic guide, Hans. There is no female character in the books outside of, you know, briefly at the beginning of the book. Um, but, you know, the, like the last movie invented that Pat Boone character, who I guess was kind of a, repl a replacement for Axel, but he was like a student instead of being the nephew of Lindenbrook. And, you know, the last movie also had that rival scientist who dies and, and the wife of that rival scientist. Um, all of that stuff was invented for that movie. And then this movie obviously invented um, a whole lot of stuff, you know, with the weird King Kong and, and the time traveling clones. But uh, they also, you know, promote Lindenbrock's niece Glauben 
to the role of being one of the adventurers, which, which again, I, I guess makes sense that you would want to have kind of a female hero on this journey with them as well. Um, but yeah, it's kind of strange, I, I guess, that there is no seemingly no faithful adaptation out there. Uh, but yeah, overall, I thought this was, you know, not nearly as boring as the 1959 version. And I would venture to say that this was actually kind of fun. I mean, it's it's not a masterpiece or anything, but I I like that kind of kitchen sink approach that they took here. And, uh, you know, even if none of those ideas that they throw out are really fully explored, it's just fun that they throw them out. Could I have used a Gertrude the Goose in this? Yeah, of course, I would have loved a Gertrude the Goose. But again, that's a character that they invented for the last movie. Sadly, was not in the original book. So uh, I probably shouldn't be holding out hope that we're going to see any more of Gertrude. But what about you? Uh, did you find that this journey was more thrilling, perhaps, than the last? Uh, I mean, I don't know. It's... These movies are like interesting to watch back to back like this because they're they're sort of like yin and yang, like they're like mirror universe reflections of each other. Like the one that we watched previously was on all these like fake Hollywood sets, like all this like Technicolor and like paper mache stalactites and stalagmites everywhere. Um, and then this one is like, you know, for the most part, like real places that they go to. Um, you know, like these fantastic images from from actual places that they they found in Spain. Um, so, like that's kind of an interesting juxtaposition. And then, you know, in this one, uh, when they do add fantastical elements to the to the real life settings, like you know, when they have the the turtles out on the beach, or um, or things like that, or like the mushroom like forest, like it looks. You know, it's like really cool. It sticks out because everything's so real. So to have these surreal things all of a sudden like sticks out a lot. And it was sort of like that in the other one where because everything was so fake when they had something real, like you know, like the quicksand scene or like when that guy falls down, like the the slide of uh, of like sand, um, you know, which is something like real and tactile. Like it, I don't like. I don't know, it's like almost you would have like a perfect movie if you combine these two together in some sort of way. I don't know. It's like, or maybe not even that, like, but it's, I don't know. They're just like interesting to juxtapose off each other because they're so, so different stylistically. Um, I feel like I would probably like this one more if I hadn't seen that other one because they are really remarkably similar for the most part outside of the clones and King Kongs. Um, like they're, you know, they're pretty, they have all the same story beats and they have the same plot and the characters are pretty similar and they're boring in the same way. That's maybe mostly how these two movies are similar is that they're boring in all the same ways. Yeah. But um, this one's only boring for 80 minutes. 87 minutes, according to my letterbox. Okay. Well, either way, it's, it's not two plus hours. True. True. It is better for that. It is definitely better for that. Um, so yeah, so, and, and this one also is a little hampered because I had high hopes for it because I really like this director. I like slugs and pieces a great deal and some of his other stuff. Um, so, but yeah, it is, 
I don't know. It, it is just maybe just a boring story, I guess. Um, I've never read that original story, but it's, you know, it's just like old timey people are going to the center of the earth with their backpacks and they don't really have a plan once they're there and there's nothing really there when they get there. Oh um, no, just guys being dudes. Yeah, they're just, <laughs> just guys camping out and being dudes. So, so I don't know. I, if I go back to this one, um, six months after we end this, this saga where we do all of these movies, maybe I would like this one more. Um, I, but like I, I said, think that's like, yeah. absolutely a possibility because I, I think you're going to be looking back on this with a lot of fondness after we go through these Australian made for TV <laughs> versions from the you know late seventies, early eighties. Yeah. Yeah. That's possible as well. But then also, yeah, just kind of not being up against the other one where, at, by the end of that two and a half hours, I was bored of this story. So to get another dose of it, um, I was already going in bored because of <laughs> because the story had already bored me. So um, I guess I'm interested to see how long we'll have to endure this before I get to watch that Brendan Fraser one, which I'm sure is probably the only one that's actually watchable because um, I remember Brendan that Fraser's one being cool. kind of bad, to be honest. I saw that oh. one theatrically and I don't remember liking it that much. Hmm. Maybe the it's a lot one. of crumb bum CGI, you know? Yeah. Yeah. To make him look young and skinny again. I mean, <laughs> well, maybe I'm not looking forward to any of these things. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm yeah. I mean, it's fine. It's better than the last one for sure. Okay. I feel like, you know, that's, that's an improvement by its very definition. True. True. And nobody said this journey was going to be easy. You know, it, it may be filled with peril, very boring peril. Yeah. A lot of, uh, a lot of asylum looking movies from the mid two thousands are coming up. Maybe I might at some point just expand to Jules Verne in general. Cause then we could see this other Jules Verne movie that this guy directed, which is something, something about a mysterious Island or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. I saw that he did that. Yeah, that could be good. And we could watch that Around the World in 80 Days with Jackie Chan. And we could also watch Around the World in Gaty Days, the gay porn parody of it. <laughs> with Jack Gay Chan. Ha! <laughs> well. Kevin liked it. Let's find out what we'll be watching uh, in between these Jules Verne movies, oh, shall we? Okay. Shall yeah. we? We're at this part of the show already. Okay. All right. I love it. <laughs> well, I mean, unless you have more to say about the journey to the center of the earth, I feel like I don't have more to say about about it. It's just guys walking around for. It's just guys being minutes. dudes. I, I I wish that we had spent more than fifteen seconds in that clone storyline. Like it, it, it felt like there was something <laughs> cool there, and I, I don't know why. It just it stops. And and does that mean that the old guy that we see at the end, he's not their main friend, Olson? Olson suicide bombed. So th this is a clone of Olson. He's just one of the dudes that they briefly saw in that cave in the in the you know in the laboratory. I think so. Yeah, I think that that would just be a normal clone, unless the guy who suicide bombed bombed himself was a clone it's barely meaningful then yeah <laughs> well yeah, that's true 
Um, well, I got a movie for you. Okay. Does it feature barely meaningful codas based around clones? It actually might. It actually might. Oh. Um, well, last week you declined to pick the cinematic event of 2023. Yeah. Uh, you had all, all the opportunity in the world. Everybody's out there talking about the biggest movie of 2023, the best movie of 2023. Me, you're not going to make me watch this Spider-Man cartoon, are you? No, you, I'm talking about the biggest and best cinematic experience of 2023. You're not going to make me watch a Neil Green movie, are you? I would love to do that, actually. Is that, that out That one's yet? not out yet. It's not out okay. yet. Not out until the beginning of August. Let's let's do this same lead up. You know, let, let's tease it the same way then. And I'll, I'll pretend like I, I don't know what's coming. <laughs> All right, I'll save it as a drop. Okay. Um, hopefully I can see that. Actually, I'm going to Vegas the week after. So hopefully it's playing in Vegas. He's from Vegas. It must be playing in Vegas, right? So that actually is yeah. a possibility. Um, I think it's, but it's outside playing of, everywhere in Vegas. Even if you get like a taxi cab on the strip, you know, it's going to be playing that little TV in the back seat. <laughs> I hope so. I'll have to look into that. That yeah, hopefully I can see that it's, as well because I know it's playing like in four places in LA. But um, but anywho, outside of the new Neil Brain movie, the cinematic event of the year that we're going to be watching next week is Shin Kamen Rider. The hit, okay. <laughs> the hit live action. Um, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Hideaki Anno, perhaps. Um, the guy who made Evangelion and Shin Godzilla. He's back. He made Shin Kamen Rider. Uh, just played in the theaters here in the in the United States for one night only, like two months ago, and I couldn't make it. I really wanted to, but. Um, a big, tu- like a quick turnaround. Sometimes these Japanese movies come out and they take like forever to get released over here. Like I know we waited a long time for Shin Godzilla, if I remember correctly. And again, and in Aven- Japan, that's, you know, kind of common. <laughs> True. And those Evangelion movies took forever, but this just a couple of months and it's out on Blu-ray here and it's on Amazon Prime. So Shin Kamen Rider. Okay. So it's on Amazon Prime. We can all stream it. We don't have to, uh, I don't have to import a Blu-ray or anything like this. True. And if you don't have that, I think you can like rent it on like, you know, Voodoo and Apple and all those other places too. But I, I, I know very little about this. I've watched the trailer and uh, somebody I follow on Letterboxd said that it's incredibly violent and that's all I need to know. Oh, I like the sound of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm down. I, I didn't even see the trailer um, I've barely seen any common rider. I've seen just a tiny little bit of it here and there, but, um, yeah, it, it looks cool. Got a cool bug mask. I like a cool bug mask. <laughs> All right. It's settled. Shin common rider. It is exciting. Okay. Well, you tricked me. You fooled me with, with this whole lead up where I thought you're going to be picking Neil Breen's, but, uh, can't argue with the I, results, I guess. I wish I could. If I knew that I that we would both be able to watch it. And it also doesn't come out for another week or two. But if, if we can, we will be doing that Neil Breen movie. For sure. 
Yeah, I, I think it's our duty at this point. Mm-hmm. And if not, then maybe we'll just do the other one that we haven't watched yet, Pass Through, as a consolation prize. Okay. I do need to watch that. <clears throat> I've yeah. got this policy of not watching the Breens unless I'm watching them, you know, for the show. That's understandable. Don't, don't want to burn the Breens, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's a good one. So we'll get we'll we'll get there. We'll watch all these Breens. Well, I, I look forward to it. And I look forward to our next episode, I guess. Uh, Shin Kamen Rider, Junk Food Supper 15, I believe it will be. Um, yeah, I think I I named this thing. Yeah, 15 is correct. I think I named the files wrong on this episode we're doing now, which probably oh led to some confusion. Oh, but is it? Yeah, well, this is 14 right now, right? Yeah, this is 14. Thief, yeah, Thief was 13. Hey, on this subject, sh- should we be naming the files JFS number? Or should we be naming them like Junk Food Supper number? Um, and, I think and I go back and forth. Yeah. I th- we should, we I, should standardize on that. I agree. If you're listening say JFS. out there, let us know. What's your preference <laughs> for how we name the MP3 <laughs> files and, and the blog posts? We're only yeah, here to, to service you and your preferences. Mm-hmm. It's a very important uh, thing to decide on. Yeah, and you can let us know by sending us an email at jfdpodcast at gmail.com or leaving us a junk mail. That's what we call our voicemails at 347-746-JUNK. That's 347-746-5865. Uh, you could also go to junkfoodinner.com, which has printed references in textual format to both that email address and phone number that I just mentioned before. So if you can't recall what I said mere seconds ago, just go to junkfoodinner.com, look it up yourself there, uh, and get you know back episodes of the show and, and all kinds of stuff there. We're also on Patreon, patreon.com slash junkfooddinner. We are still accepting your dollars in exchange for brand new bonus content that I think you'll enjoy, including our featured uh, ongoing series, The Bookhouse Boys, in which we're reviewing all of Twin Peaks, every last second of it, uh, including uh, the episode of Phil Donahue where the cast of Twin Peaks comes on and tries to convince a a crowd of Midwesterners that they should watch the finale of the show for some reason. Um, anywho, um, until next week when we do review Shin Kamen Rider, I'm your friend, Sen Byro, for your other friend, Perky Beantown Bowman, saying keep washing them dishes. Hell yeah. Very nice. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Very nice. Hell yeah.
I got to get to the porno store quick.